0: Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. As part of my initiative to engage and connect with my listeners, I have created a private Facebook group titled Career Advice with Chan with a Plan, and in this private Facebook group, I will be posting daily content on career advice and job search tips. So if you're interested, you can check the show notes as I will provide a link for easier accessibility, or you can type career advice with Chan with a plan in the Facebook search bar to find my group. And as a thank you for joining, if you provide your email as part of the questionnaire to join my Facebook group, I will be sending you a 30 minute job interview training video to help you better prepare for job interviews and be more confident in the interview process. One of the biggest obstacles when it comes to having a successful job search is mindset. You can have the right strategy and the right coaching, but if you don't have the right mindset to implement it on a consistent basis, it's not going to work. And this is where the problem of procrastination comes in. We've all had our moments when there's something that we don't wanna do and we ended up pushing it off to do something else. So for example, Let's say it's the weekend, you know, you have to write this resume to start applying for jobs, but you just want to hang out with your friends. So you push off the important thing of writing a resume. So you end up hanging out with your friends. And by the time you come back from hanging out with your friends, you're too tired to write the resume. And you'll say you'll do it the day after or the day after that. And then things start coming up during those days. And then you end up not doing your resume at all, right? So that's a huge problem because the more time you waste, the longer it takes for you to get the result you're looking for. And another common situation is networking. What tends to happen is professionals procrastinate on networking. They'll eventually try a few times. They won't get the appropriate responses. And then they just give up after a few people. So as I said at the beginning of this episode, mindset is way more important than having the right strategy. Because if you don't have the proper mindset, you're not going to do the proper work to get the results you're looking for. To help me discuss procrastination in your job search and how to overcome it, I have brought on Heather Spiegel, who is the founder of Hidden Scroll Consulting and is a career coach that helps her clients access the hidden job market, position themselves as stellar talent and negotiates generous compensation packages. She also provides her clients with unique insights into the recruitment and hiring process and has over nine years of executive recruitment experience where she has placed hundreds of senior and executive level candidates within both the public and private sectors. Now let's get into my discussion with Heather, on how to overcome procrastination in your job search to help you get the job you want. Good morning, Heather, Uh, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, thanks for having me.
0: So as of this recording, we are in the midst of the hiring season. Uh, Fall is one of the biggest hiring seasons in the year. And a lot of professionals are trying to make their next move, whatever it may be, whether they're currently working and they're looking for their next opportunity, or fortunately, they're laid off right now and they're trying to get back on the saddle. But the one thing that I've witnessed when it comes to speaking to professionals is job search procrastination and being discouraged in the job search, which is understandable for a number of reasons. One is that you go on LinkedIn, you look at a role you're interested in, there's to to 300 applicants and they're like, okay, yeah. I'm just one of the 300. So they get discouraged that way. Another reason why they're discouraged is these are all online applications and they either get no response or they get an auto rejection email. Another one is they feel good. The resume is working. They're getting interviews, but they're not closing any and they're getting frustrated and they just don't want to keep applying and getting rejected. So those seem to be the main factors in terms of What leads to discouragement and what leads to people wanting to give up on the job search but i I always say like in order to get better you have to constantly do it so with that being said like just applying to a few jobs or getting a few interviews and not landing them that shouldn't be any sign of discouragement you should keep going because it does show that employers are interested in you you're just not communicating in a way that they want you to right so Mm-hmm. With all that being said, what are some other factors that lead to job search procrastination besides the uh, results?
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's a really interesting question. And whether it's job search procrastination or procrastination in general, it's usually not due to laziness or poor time management. It tends to be motivated by some of these what we call demotivating psychological factors like fear of failure or fear of rejection. and in general, we're all built such that we'd rather avoid a task than risk humiliation of getting it wrong or making mistakes, right? And this whole process can feel quite uncomfortable. So there's a whole variety of reasons why someone might engage in job search procrastination. And it's really important to pinpoint the root causes so that we can develop solutions or strategies to overcome them. And and some of the most common reasons, and you've touched on some of them already, uh, firstly is around perfectionism and that fear of failure and putting something off because we don't think that we'll do it well enough Um, and starting to get into that all or nothing thinking. We have to have that perfect resume. We have to have that perfect LinkedIn profile before we can start reaching out to our network. And I always say in that case, try to replace that all or nothing thinking with all or something thinking. So go into it expecting that you're going to make mistakes. This is all about trial and error and learning from the experience and refining as, as we go. We don't have to be perfect right off the bat. Uh, Another thing very, very common is around avoidance. Like all of us like to avoid unpleasant or stressful tasks. And particularly with networking, that can feel a little unpleasant if you're not used to it. Uh, So putting it off, doing something more enjoyable instead it's, it's a coping mechanism. And so one of the solutions is to firstly recognize our emotional state and why we're engaging in this sort of behavior and to really craft time to, to do it. Be like, you know what? I recognize I feel uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to devote 10 minutes to reaching out to two people or even potentially Writing down how uncomfortable you think it's going to be on a scale of one to 10, doing it. So just even reaching out to one person and then reflecting how uncomfortable was that actual experience? Because oftentimes we tend to overestimate how uncomfortable something is actually going to be. Same with interviews, right? We often go in feeling that this is going to be the most uncomfortable thing in the world. And it usually isn't as bad as, as we think. Another thing is just being really overwhelmed, like not feeling comfortable completely comfortable with knowing how to go about it. How do you actually get that next job? And in that case, I always think turning to someone who's been there or using a coach can be really, really helpful. Because when we get trapped in not feeling like we know how to do something, it can lead to procrastination. Another strategy is to go back to the why. Like, why is this important to me? So instead of just getting focused on the how, thinking about the why. And outlining our long-term goals and thinking about like, why is this goal important to me? Why is it important for me to search for a new opportunity? And, and then thinking about, you know, what are the skills that you can draw upon to set yourself up for success? And then finally, even around just time blocking, we all have really busy lives. And sometimes these sorts of activities fall by the wayside. But at the start of a week, really articulating your goals, but then time blocking to say, even if I spend five to 10 minutes, this is what I'm going to do. So that you don't get to the end of the week and say, oh, I didn't do what I anticipated doing.
0: To add to that, Heather, the misconception when it comes to doing small volume work is they don't see it as effective. So what I mean by that is, let's say I tell someone to apply to one job a day, they don't think they're really moving the needle. So they'd rather not do it. They'd rather say, okay, I'd, I'd rather spend two, three hours applying to 10 to 20 jobs instead of yeah. applying for a job that takes 10 minutes because they don't think it moves the needle. But then what happens is that you're building it up to a point where it feels so overwhelming that you don't end up doing it anyway. So what's your thought? Exactly.
1: Oh, a hundred percent, right? I'm all about smart goals. I'm all about breaking things down to, to small manageable chunks. And I think it's important to recognize that for most people, this process can feel very uncomfortable. So if you're putting it off and say, I'm going to do two hours, you're likely not going to want to engage in that activity during that two-hour block, right? Because it can feel uncomfortable. But if you do small things every single day, you get into A, a routine, and B, it's not going to have that same level of discomfort, uh, especially once you recognize okay so maybe this isn't my most favorite activity in the world but i can do this and i can do this consistently i find that particularly with networking which is one of the strategies i really push forward rather than applying to just job advertisements people at all stages of their career tend to get really uncomfortable when they first start networking
0: with all that being said what's the average length of a job search because I think sometimes people give up too soon, but like, what's your number uh, based off your work that you've done with the clients of yours?
1: Definitely. And I would say too, that it's a really interesting time. So we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Businesses are still trying to pivot and adjust and modify their hiring accordingly. And particularly at the start of COVID, a lot of organizations stopped hiring, particularly for non core operational roles like strategy and innovation. So people in those types of fields, we're starting to see a much longer sort of time horizon in, in getting a new role. Things are definitely picking up a bit. And depending on the type of role you're seeking, it could be anywhere from, I don't know, I'm going to say a week to six months. Again, it's completely variable. On average, though, the general sort of consensus is that a job search usually takes somewhere in the span of three to, I want to say three to four months minimum. So people shouldn't get frustrated and discouraged. These things do take time and particularly if you are seeking an executive role, then the time horizon can be even longer.
0: Is there a difference between the average job search for someone that's currently working versus someone that's unemployed or is still the three to four months minimum?
1: That's a great question. I would say that unfortunately, at least prior to COVID, there was a bias against individuals who were unemployed. Uh, Employers generally tend to hire those who are currently working and in a full-time role. I think that is very different these days, particularly because the whole world has sort of been flipped on its head. Again, regardless of whether you're currently unemployed or you are currently in a role but just seeking something different. Generally, ballpark is at least three months. so it's important not to give up but just be consistent. That being said, one thing that I do see a lot of people doing is just applying to job ads as their primary search strategy. And the research shows that only around 7% of people secure a new role by applying to a job ad without a referral. So I'm always of the opinion that networking should be a crucial part of your job search strategy and being able to get referrals since they are so crucially important. So if somebody is getting discouraged and they say, I've applied to 200 ads and I haven't heard back, then my advice to them would be to start looking at other ways that you can diversify your search engage in informational interviews, find out what it is that others in your targeted role have been doing to make them successful, reach out to your network, craft your elevator pitch, be able to, with almost anyone that you come in contact with, sell yourself and what you could bring to the table and the value you can add. I, I definitely think that the networking component is often underutilized.
0: Which brings me to cognitive distortion. That's the term, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so we, we discussed this offline. That's what actually brought you onto the podcast is, mm-hmm. so for example, let's say there's a professional right now. They're applying online. They tried a few months. They might've gotten an interview here and there, but they're not getting the traction they're looking for. They speak to a career coach. They say, have you tried networking? And they're like, no, I haven't tried networking at all. And then they say, okay, why don't you try networking along with your applying online? Uh, job search strategy and see how it goes. And then a few months down the road, they'll say, hey, I'm still not getting any responses or I'm still not landing the job or getting any interviews. And then the career coach would be, well, did you try networking? No, 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 but I, I've spent more time applying the jobs. So it seems like it goes back to people ask for advice and then these experts are giving advice, but they end up not doing any of it and they just go back to what they're doing or doing more of the same thing. So, So why is that? Like, why don't people people's advice right like for me i don't mind helping professionals but like when i tell them like some suggestions and they don't end up doing it 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 feels like a waste of time on both their sides it seems like they're looking for some silver bullet for me that's why they're talking to me but they're not necessarily wanting to do the proper work
1: yeah it's very interesting and it's funny that you mentioned that because in many ways to me i compare the job search to other difficult things like weight loss exercise getting healthy Losing weight, for example, at the end of the day, it's about being able to burn more calories than take more calories in. But it's a huge challenge for a lot of people, right? Even though the mechanics of it are relatively simple. And I would say with the job search in some ways, it's the same thing. It's really about not only knowing the tools in terms of how to be successful, but it's addressing those underlying thought patterns, particularly negative thought patterns that are preventing us from achieving our goal. And so as a career coach myself, I do really take a lot of time up front with my clients to understand, for example, even like, what are your saboteurs? We all have this, the judge and the saboteurs, like what are the negative thought patterns that we're consistently engaging in that sometimes make us feel awful and prohibit us from kind of achieving our goal. And so it's really important just to bring that level of mindfulness to know what is happening beneath the surface. What are we telling ourselves? What assumptions are we making? And I've turned to a lot of psychological tools and various therapeutic modalities even to help my clients to be able to break past these blocks and one of the things that i love looking at is cognitive distortions like what are the things that we're consistently saying to ourselves that are preventing us from engaging in the types of activities we know we should be doing and one of the most common is all or nothing thinking so really seeing things in terms of black and white And if your performance falls short of perfect, you see yourself as a total failure, right? It can be really easy to be like, oh, I've applied to these five job ads. I haven't heard anything back. I'm useless. I'm a failure. There's no point in doing this. Or I reached out to two people to network and I didn't hear anything back. No one wants to talk to me. I'm a loser. They don't want to spend their time. So it's really easy to get into doing that. And another one, which feeds into it, is overgeneralization. You see a single negative event as a never-ending pattern of defeat. So let's say you didn't do well in one interview and you say, oh, well, inter- I'm just awful at interviews. I hate interviews. I never do well in interviews. I'm never going to be able to to be able to get to what, where I want to be. Or even disqualifying the positive, right? Rejecting all of the positive experiences by insisting that they don't count. Um, for some reason or another. And that enables us to maintain those negative beliefs. So there's a whole series of them. And I think being able to at least be mindful of the thought patterns that we get into can be that necessary step. And actually first being able to see them for what they are and how they're holding us back, but then being able to address them and talk back to them which allows us to feel better in a better position to actually engage in the work that we should be doing.
0: I think it's also about celebrating the small wins, not the always focus on the big picture. So what I mean by that is let's say you're networking and the goal of networking is hopefully to get referral in for an interview, right? So maybe the small win is I've sent out 10 connection requests or I got one informational interview. It was a good conversation and we can keep in touch later. So maybe it's just focusing on smaller wins and celebrating those consistently instead of just always focusing on that big goal because it does take time to land that big goal. So that's why people might feel discouraged that they're not getting that big goal right away.
1: Definitely, definitely. I'm all about celebrating the small wins. And I say to my clients consistently, even Everest, people can accomplish climbing the mountain, but they do it through that single step right? It's one foot in front of the other. And with the job search process, I say, you don't need to climb Everest in a day. Let's break down the activities into real small manageable steps that you can accomplish. You can put that check mark next to it at the end of the day, and then you can feel good and celebrate at every single step along the way, because that is so important. Even sending off two messages to people in your network, you should celebrate that, right? Even if it's updating your LinkedIn profile, celebrate that every single step along the way, because it's also important to recognize what we can and can't control. There's a lot of things in this process that we can't control. And even if we don't get a job, Let's say after an interview process, we go to the final round, we don't get the job. There are so many aspects in that process that we don't control. We don't know what our competition was, right? No candidate is ever evaluated in a vacuum. We don't know fit for whatever reason that particular hiring manager had a greater tendency to fit with someone else. There's so many things. So it's really important to focus on what we can control and to continually be able to engage in positive self-talk. And I would say also compassion, right? Not beating ourselves up, but to be able to say, you know, we're doing the right steps. We're taking the right approach to things. And I'm going to take one step of, in a time and I'm going to be kind to myself. Because oftentimes I see clients who they try to motivate themselves with should statements. I should be doing this. I ought to be doing that. And by being hard on ourselves that way, the consequence is just guilt and guilt leads to avoidance and to feeling like this is all just really uncomfortable. Whereas if we're kind to ourselves and we're continually patting ourselves on the back for those small steps, that's going to enable momentum and progress.
0: Absolutely, and again, it goes back to what you said, right? There's a lot of things in the job search process you can't control, such as like, who else are the interviewing? You you don't know if they resonated better with those people, but you can't control how many applications you sent, you can't control how many people you reach out to. So focusing more on your locus of control will make you want to keep going compared to trying to analyze something that you have no control over.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: And then the one thing a lot of professionals fall into the trap of is thinking that when an interview went well, they think that it's, oh, it's just a matter of time I get the job. So then they stop applying the jobs or stop networking because they yes. think that's the one because I had a good conversation with the hiring manager, the team. So it looks like I'm a shoe. And So I'm just going to wait for the offer and, and stop applying. But what tends to happen is a few weeks go by and there's no response. And then they lost all that momentum. So they're starting from scratch because they haven't applied in a few weeks. So I always say try to keep the interview pipeline full instead of just waiting for that opportunity that you think is going to happen. So, how do you like coach your clients to ensure that yes, an interview went well, but you still got to keep going?
1: Definitely. So, I think after an interview, it's always good to do a debrief to say, And again, back to the patting the self on the back. What did I do well? What made this interview flow smoothly? What can I take forward? And at the same time to obviously be able to acknowledge and be excited about the potential of that, but to not stop networking, to not stop applying for new opportunities because until you have that formal written offer letter, nothing is guaranteed. And I've seen it. In clients at all stages of their careers, whether it's people who are just starting out or senior executives, there is that tendency to want to stop once you're pretty far into an interview process and it seems to be going really well. But again, there are so many factors outside of our control. We don't know the other candidates being considered. We don't know politically what's happening in an organization Sometimes at the last minute, even an organization will decide to go with an internal candidate or even cancel the recruitment altogether. So it's really important to always, always be looking at new opportunities up until you have that that written offer in hand.
0: And just going back to what you can't control, right? So let's say someone tries a job search on their own for a few months. They're getting some type of traction, but obviously they don't have the job offer. When is it time to get extra help, whether it's like hiring a career coach, or when should you still stay the course if you are getting a specific amount of results? So what's the fine line between like, okay, I'm just staying on the strategy. It's working. I think if I just get a few more interviews, I'll land one of them compared to like, okay, maybe it's time I actually get some help because I don't think I'm getting the results I'm looking for.
1: Mm. It's a good question. And I'll admit that I'm biased, obviously, in that I think that everyone can always benefit from coaching. I'm not saying that someone needs to engage a career coach for eight sessions and spend thousands of dollars, but sometimes even a single session can make the difference in terms of refining your approach in a way that is going to enable you to be successful. I personally, I do even individual sessions with people who are looking to practice mock interviews. And sometimes that's the difference maker, just being able to deliver a compelling elevator pitch, being able to walk in an interview with confidence and be able to articulate how you can address their pain points is oftentimes the the difference maker, just even that ability to practice and get feedback from a professional. I think career coaching is always going to be of benefit. I think if someone really is struggling and they're not getting any sort of traction on their own, then yes, a career coach would be a really wise investment even to be able to get feedback and be able to address some of those blind spots on why things haven't worked to this point.
0: So to talk about the coaching part, so I talked to prospects and I'm pretty sure you have as well, where they're looking for a career coach, they have a conversation with you and then they get back to you. And then for me, like when I follow up with some of them, they end up going back to school. And then I'm thinking to myself, like these education programs are fairly expensive. Coaching tends to be a bit more on the affordable side compared to some of these education programs. Mm -hmm. so why is that like an mba would cost like a hundred thousand dollars but coaching might be let's say you get a higher end coach it's a couple thousand that's still a lot cheaper than spending 100k on the mba but they think that the mba is going to guarantee them more results than the coaching so where's that disconnect where it seems like they're resorting back to what they're taught in terms of if you're not getting results in your job search you should get more education compared to like getting coaching to actually find out what you're doing wrong so then you can fix it and then getting that a uh, job, because like, if you are getting interviewed, that means they are seeing you as qualified. You're just lacking something and the coach can't help you with that compared to just saying, oh, okay, I'm not getting any results. I'm just gonna get more education.
1: I think you actually answered it, right? It goes back to even how we were socialized growing up, that education is always a worthwhile investment and it is going to be a difference maker. And I do see, this is a generalization, but particularly women, when they don't get the traction that they're looking for, they think education is the answer. And I'm highly educated myself. I probably have degrees that haven't served me well because I've gone down that path myself. And so my approach when people say, you know what, I actually am debating going back to school for this degree, I think it's going to make a difference. As I say, you know what, before you sign up and you pay those thousands and thousands of dollars Why don't you reach out to five people who are in the roles that you want to be in and hiring managers who are hiring for those roles and really find out, is it the education that is going to be the piece that's going to enable you to be successful or is it something else? And I'm not saying that it never is education. So for example, I recently had a client who switched from operations to HR And in order to make the move, she chatted with many people in her network and learned that an HR designation would be the key difference maker. So, in that case, it was a wise decision to go back to school, but she did it based on those conversations that she had. She just didn't blindly pursue education. And as a result, she was able to land a role in HR successfully because she went back to school. But I'm not saying that that is always the case. And before you pursue any sort of education, whether it's a master's degree or whether it's just a certificate, I really do recommend reaching out to people in your network, including those in the roles that you want to find out, you know, is this actually required? Is this going to be the difference maker I hope is going to be?
0: So if someone is looking at pursuing additional education, they should do their research by networking with people in those roles that they're looking for, uh, that they want to get into. And then if it's the common phrase, yeah, you do need this designation then it makes sense to actually invest money into the education part of things. But if you're just getting education because you feel defeated, that's definitely not the right approach.
1: Exactly. And it's an unfortunate reality that the MBA, let's say, as an example, without the network isn't necessarily going to be the difference maker that people hope it is.
0: It's funny you say that because I think people go to the MBA, get the MBA for the network. Because if you want to get into consulting, as an example, you can network with a lot of people. There's like career fairs and stuff. For if you're from a like a top uh, MBA school, right? So from what I heard, like if you want to get into a specific field, getting an MBA can help you with that, not just in the education alone, but the network that it can provide you by joining this program.
1: hundred percent. And I would argue that the value of degrees like the MBA is in many ways, the network. It is not just the education in and of itself. So that being said, I would, if I were at a, at a point in my career where I thought the MBA would be the difference maker, before spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, I would reach out to people with the MBA and say, what was your experience like? If you had to do it again, would you go down this path? What advice would you provide to someone debating getting their MBA with the end goal of landing a role in this industry? Those are the types of questions that we want to ask before we pursue such a path, just because of the time commitment and the monetary commitment are just so large. For any program, I think it's important to have those conversations in advance.
0: Absolutely. And just going back to being accountable, like we we talked about, oh, I connected with two people and it, it didn't go anywhere, or I applied to a few jobs, it didn't go anywhere. It's easy to do something new for a little bit, but then people tend to revert back to their old ways when they don't see these results right away. So how can someone build a new consistent habit and stay accountable to it in order to get the results uh, long-term?
1: Definitely. And I'm right up with there with exercise. Personally, I'll uh, feel motivated. I'll engage in an exercise program for a couple of weeks and then invariably it, it ends, right? And I would argue that it's not that I don't know what to do, it's the accountability particularly because I don't find exercise the most enjoyable thing in the world. So like the job search process, I think accountability can be really important, whether it's hiring a career coach where you do have someone that you are accountable to and you can report back to on a consistent basis, or whether you have a group of friends where you're all meeting on a regular basis to keep each other up to date on what you're doing, and the success you're having and the obstacles you're facing. I think accountability, whenever we're trying to do something difficult, or something that pushes us outside of our comfort zone is really important.
0: And so let's say I work with you, and you tell me to do networking, as an example, as a new habit as far as my job search, what Type of foundational pieces would you want me to do in order to stay consistent in constantly implementing this new habit?
1: Yeah. So first thing, what we would do is we'd talk about what is your comfort with networking right off the bat. So is this something that makes you have butterflies in your stomach? Is it a matter of just not having the time to devote to it? Like, what is what is the obstacle? How are you feeling right now? And then we can address whatever those challenges are to ensure you're going to be successful. And if it's a matter of you don't have any issues with networking itself, it's just a time thing. Then together we would figure out, Okay, let's block off specific chunks of time in your schedule where you are going to network. And even if you get to that time in your calendar and you're choosing not To network, you're still having to reflect on the fact that you initially were devoting this time to networking. So first of all, let's say your challenge is just time, we would engage in time blocking, we would likely do one together, you know, we would craft a message together, we would talk about what are the key elements we want to include in a message. So for me, I always talk with my clients about We want our message to be personalized, doesn't want to be like just an email blast type message. We want to be able to clearly articulate what we're hoping to get from the conversation. And we want to have a specific ask. So for example, are you free to connect next week for 20 to 30 minutes? So being really specific. And then from there, those smart, measurable goals, like you mentioned, Max, in terms of it's not that you need to climb Everest in a day. It could be as simple as just setting the goal of reaching out to two people a week or whatever is going to be achievable for you in any given time. And then coming back together to reflect on, okay, how did that go? You know, How did that feel? What sort of response have you gotten? You know, What are the obstacles that you're still facing and how can we address them together?
0: In terms of commitments, I do this as well. And I think that this is for a lot of people when it comes to, free advice and paid advice. When you get free advice, you have an option to do it or not because it doesn't affect you monetarily, right? However, if you spend money on a career coach, you're more likely to do it because you've already invested money in it. So it goes back to if the company gives me free reign on LinkedIn learning for free, right? There's all these resources that I can watch at my own leisure, but I won't do them because there's no investment on my side. like I invest time, but not that, that money portion, right? But if I mm-hmm. pay for something, the more expensive it is, you're more likely to actually do it because you already spent so much money in there. So, so why does money play a factor when it comes to doing something uh, based off teachings that you're trying to uh, learn from?
1: Well, it certainly isn't just restricted to job searching and hiring a career coach. I will say that. I think that that's just a Pattern of human nature that we see in all sorts of different realms, whether it's working out, let's say having that piece of gym equipment in your bedroom that may serve as sort of a laundry hanging device versus having to go to the gym knowing that you paid for the gym membership, knowing that you're paying for the personal trainer. It provides that accountability. And I think that accountability is what it ultimately comes down to having skin in the game, so to speak. And that is definitely an element that can enable success. And it doesn't have to be a huge amount of money, right? I've even seen friends who have set up contests with each other, usually more in terms of exercise. So you could probably apply it to a job search where if you don't engage in the activity you said you're going to do, you have to donate a certain amount of money to an organization that you hate. So that's another creative way of doing it. So I personally would never donate money to the NRA. Whereas if I have this arrangement with a friend that I'm going to reach out to five people and networking, and I know that if I don't do it, I'm going to have to donate money to an organization I hate. It's another form of accountability.
0: And you work with a lot of uh, C-suite executives in your practice. So Mm -hmm. what's the difference between a C-suite executive and someone that's starting out their career as an individual contributor or first level manager when it comes to like accountability and and sticking with things? Because there's obviously a difference in mindset for sure.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I would say that even C-suite executives can sometimes struggle with accountability just because they have so many things on their plate. One of the things that I find that senior executives are better doing than someone who's potentially earlier in their career is that they're stronger communicators. They're better able to articulate their value proposition and their accomplishments. They're also usually really good networkers and they recognize the value of relationships and the importance of finding champions. So as I always say, that network is crucially important to your career success and Being able to engage your network, being able to be a social connector yourself and enable other people to foster connections can be really crucial in terms of getting to that next level. And a lot of individual contributors believe that the quality of their work will speak for itself, and then they'll be recognized for that, and it will result in promotions. And it doesn't always work that way. I think a lot of senior executives realize and they've benefited from knowing that you need to find champions, both inside and outside your organization, that will be able to help you to get to that next level and be able to help you foster those really important connections for your career. So I wouldn't say it's just a matter of accountability because there are a lot of executives out there who don't make time for what they want to do in terms of advancing their search. I think it's more so Going back to the really important pieces of the job search process with networking be a key component and senior executives are better able to tap their networks and position their value relative to their networks. Beyond that, you know, senior executives are the exact same as anybody else in terms of they have a lot of those negative emotions like worry, anxiety, and fear going into interview processes, but maybe they're better able at keeping those motions in check and not letting failure derail their progress.
0: So C-suite executives are not as much different as people that are starting out their career. But there's a good point you made. The main difference is that they understand the value of relationships while someone's starting out in their career, or even a mid-level professional, they still think that the work is more important, But or the work will showcase their ability, and then they'll right. move up by that. Through that, but it's more of the relationship. So that's the main difference in terms of someone who's successful and someone who's not in their career is who values building relationships more.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And recognizing too that it's an unfortunate reality that promotions aren't just based on the quality of your work. It's based on the relationships you've forged and the champions you've been able to secure people in your organization or outside of your organization who can speak for you and go to bat for you. So crucially important.
0: Yeah. And from my experience, it seems people get nervous reaching out to higher level people. But from my experience, it's actually easier to reach out to higher level people because they understand the importance of relationship building compared to someone who's an individual contributor because they think like, why do I need to build relationships? Like my work will show for it, right? So, like for you, 100%. like you, you run your own business, right? So you understand the importance of building relationships. I've reached out to like CEOs of companies, and they're interested in coming onto my podcast. And at first, I thought like, I was shocked. Like, why would they come to my podcast? Because I'm just growing it, but they understand the value that, of relationships that meeting one new person can help pay dividends in the end. So a lot of these higher level people understand that compared to someone that is just starting out their career and thinking that the work matters based off their education. Because in education, it's not really focused on relationship building, it's more about doing good work to get the A's, right? But in exactly. the workplace, it's a completely different process.
1: Yes, definitely. At the end of the day, your success is going to be determined by your ability to forge relationships.
0: Great. And I want to pivot this conversation a little bit in terms of working with external agencies because you were an agency recruiter, right?
1: So I work as an executive recruiter. I still do, still wear that hat. And it actually ties very nicely into what we were talking about because I've recruited individuals for roles, let's say at the director level, all the way up to the CEO level and the board level. And I find that my job as a recruiter is often easier when I'm working with people who are at that C-suite level because again, they understand the importance of relationships and they understand the importance of, helping a recruiter and fostering a relationship that isn't just transactional. Whereas a lot of people who are earlier in their career, they don't see the importance of engaging with a recruiter, particularly if the recruiter is presenting them with a role that doesn't immediately interest them. So I would say that is a huge, huge difference. And so as an executive recruiter, but I think this speaks for any dealings with a recruiter, you want to establish that relationship. And even if the recruiter approaches you with a role you're not interested in, take the time to speak to them. Take the time to try to be helpful and maybe even suggest a few people who might be the right fit for the role. And then you can pivot to discussing the types of opportunities you'd personally be interested in. You know, recruiters are people too. They're going to appreciate your helpfulness. They're going to potentially remember your helpfulness. And that way, when a role comes along that is more in line with what you're seeking, you're going to be more likely to be contacted about it.
0: So my follow-up question is, how do you build relationships with external agency slash executive recruiters?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I would say that if a recruiter does contact you out of the blue, take the time to have the conversation, like I just said. Second of all, you can look for, you could do your homework and look for recruiters that are specifically in your space. You don't want to just mass email a hundred different recruiters, some of which don't even cover the areas you're personally interested in. Take the time and then you can reach out to them and say something along the lines of, I notice you recruit in this particular space. I'd love to take the time to introduce myself, what I've been doing over the last few years and what it is I'm looking for. And vice versa, if there are any rules that I could potentially be a good sounding board for, I'd be happy to do so. Again, thinking about how can you build a legitimate relationship?
0: The common mistake a lot of professionals make is they network when they need a job, right? But you should also build the network before you really need it. So when it comes to talking to external recruiters, like if you're just reaching out because you see an interesting posting, that that may work depending on how qualified you are. But if you actually reach out to a recruiter like way ahead of time, say, hey, I'm at the start of my search, I was wondering if we could have a chat to see what type of roles you fill and how I could align with one of those roles that you're looking to fill. So that's more of the long game that tends to work better, right?
1: Not even when you're immediately... Let's say even looking for a role, but thinking about if you're in a specific segment, let's say you are in supply chain and there's one particular recruiter who they only do supply chain, right? It's good to get on their radar early, even well before you're in a position that you need a new job, right? And also, if you can help them out again, it's a relationship. If you can provide suggestions on who might be a good fit for roles they're filling, they're going to remember that. They're going to hold you in higher regard as as a result. And it's funny. So I would do executive recruitment roles in healthcare, particularly CEOs, for example. And I found it really easy to reach out to other CEOs as sources because they would understand the value of that relationship, and they know that if they help me out with a particular search, potentially recommending some of their colleagues that when a rule comes around that is more in line with them, that I'm gonna think to initially reach out to them, right? It, it's potentially a little bit strategic, but it's something that at the end of the day is is really successful.
0: Great, and if someone's listening right now and they're struggling with their job search, what is the one thing that you want them to do when it comes to trying something new? Because I, I think like if you're doing the same thing over and over again and there's not the traction you're looking for, you do have to try something new. So there's obviously tons of content out there in terms of various job search strategies. So what would yes. you, you suggest someone do in terms of taking the first step and changing the strategy in order to get more results?
1: Yeah. So first things first, I would say to track your metrics. So keep an Excel spreadsheet and write down, who are you reaching out to? What is your response rate? What are the roles you're applying to? How many are you hearing back from versus how many are you getting ghosted for or getting that automated rejection? Knowing and keeping metrics is really important to be able to actually track what is working and what isn't. And if you are just, let's say, applying to job ads, Think about how can you switch that approach? How can you figure out who the hiring manager is and contact them directly? Or even better, how can you get someone in your network to introduce you to the hiring manager? So I'd say first and foremost is really to employ multiple strategies when it comes to your job search, using those metrics, being able to reflect on what's working, what isn't, and to really incorporate networking as a really key component. And if you are really, really stuck then look to LinkedIn and start reaching out to people who hold the job that you want. Connect with them, hear about their experience, hear their advice, get a sense of what worked really well for them. And then you can pivot your strategy based on the, the intel that you've gotten from those conversations.
0: It's all about reverse engineering because what you're trying to do, there's gotta be countless of people that have done before. You just gotta find those people and see what their story is and then what strategies they've used. And then that will help you bypass a lot of mistakes that they've done, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think that it is human nature to go back to what we're comfortable with, right? In terms of applying to job ads, crafting that resume, crafting that cover letter, sending it off, don't have to talk to anybody. You know, it's a relatively simple process, but it's not one that's going to be successful. Particularly when we think about how companies like to hire right? They like to hire people they know or people who come recommended to them. And sometimes that could be a little bit uncomfortable and outside of our comfort zone to start networking and reaching out to people we don't know. But we have to keep in mind that our way of pursuing things and what feels most comfortable isn't going to be what's going to be the most successful.
0: Yeah, because if you want to get results, there's no growth in the comfort zone, right? So if you want to get results that you've never done before, you'll have to do something that you've never done before as well, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And then even going back to cognitive distortions and what we were talking about at the beginning, being able to be mindful and recognize, you know, what are the things that are preventing me from going outside my comfort zone? What am I saying to myself? What is holding me back? And then how can I start to reframe how I'm approaching a situation or the message that I'm telling myself, those are all really crucial components and helping us expand outside of our comfort zone to engage in some of these activities.
0: Great. I want to end this podcast episode with one last question for you. So my podcast, as you know, is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges and obstacles in order to grow and excel in their career. So for you, what was one new habit that you had to learn to progress in your career? It's because we're, we're talking about procrastination, right? So what yes. has, yeah, so what was one new habit that you needed to do in order to get to the next level? And how did you fight the procrastination or cognitive distortion in order to do that habit consistently to get the results you want and in turn get to where you are today?
1: Oh, that's a good one. So I admit that I am so passionate about networking and the value of networking because I, like so many, thought growing up, as long as I get great grades, as long as I do well in school, I'm going to be super successful and I'm going to have access to amazing opportunities. And then you find out usually the hard way that that is not the case, right? So I think I personally had to learn that lesson because I was not a natural networker. And even to this day, it's not something that comes naturally to me, but it's something that I recognize the importance of. And so for me, it was about recognizing the importance of relationships and not just blindly applying to job ads. It's about being able to utilize our networks and and to recognize that people do wanna help. So many early career individuals could benefit from the informational interview and reaching out to others to say, what was your career path like? What advice would you provide to someone just starting out? You know, those conversations can be so invaluable. And they're really something that I wish I had done, particularly early in my career. And then even going back to my example of fostering the relationship with recruiters, I remember I was in my first ever recruitment role and a recruiter reached out to me for a role with a, a well-known retailer. And it wasn't something that I wanted or was interested in, but I said, you know what, I'm going to take the time to talk to this person. And so I offered them a couple of names of people who might be suitable to the, to the role they were recruiting for. And then I said, you know what, me personally, if I were to consider leaving and taking on a new opportunity, this is what I'd be looking for. And as a result of that conversation, that recruiter said, you know what, let me introduce you to someone. I have someone who I want you to chat with. And so she introduced me to a partner at another executive search firm that was doing work in line with what I wanted. And then boom, I got a role that was never even advertised, right? Simply because I took the time to have that conversation and to be helpful. So that's what I'd sort of leave as like my final message or example.
0: That's awesome. So again, I think the common theme is stay the course, build relationships. And over time, again, like there's a reason why they say your network is your net worth, right? So I think for some people who are struggling with their career in any shape, whether it's a job search or moving up, I, I think like building the relationships is the key to getting you to that level.
1: Definitely. And also to think about how can you provide value to the person that you're talking with, right? It's not just a matter of what they can do for you. There is always something that you can provide a value to whoever you're networking with, whether it's a book or an article recommendation, a new perspective, or even an introduction to someone in your network, right? You can always provide value. And so I always think about going into a conversation, how can you provide value to someone else? In addition to what is it you're hoping that they can sort of share with you.
0: And it doesn't have to be a lot, right? Like a lot of people like talking about themselves and they might not be able to talk about themselves a lot during their regular work life. But if someone is reaching out and interested in their career by sharing their story, it could be a value to them because they want to share their story and they spread the message.
1: For sure. For sure. At the end of the day, it's all about connection.
0: Absolutely, yeah, so again, really appreciate you taking the time to come onto my podcast, to discuss job search procrastination and how you should not be discouraged in the job search because you again it, you, as you said, it does take three to four months to start getting traction in your job search. so how can people connect with you online to learn more about what you do and how you can help them?
1: Yeah, definitely, so you can reach out to me at heather at hidden squirrel I'm also on LinkedIn as well and I would say, you know, think about what it looks like for you going forward in terms of not only, let's say, networking with others, but how is that going to help you meet your end goal? So trying to be really strategic and by being really strategic, whether it's working with a career coach or whether it's turning to people who have been in the position that you've been in before, you're going to be successful because everyone has something that they want to share and people generally want to help.
0: Exactly. Again, don't be afraid Like people do want to help others uh, because it's just in our nature to like help people. Right.
1: Exactly. And using a career coach is a great return on investment. You know, even just a couple of sessions with a career coach can have a tenfold return in what you're able to secure with a new role or even negotiating a great compensation package.
0: Exactly. So again, I really appreciate your time, Heather, and hope you end the year strong.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you again to Heather for coming on the show to discuss strategies on how you can overcome procrastination in your job search to get the job you want. As I said at the beginning of the episode, if you don't have the right mindset, no strategy is going to help you in your job search. So again, please take action today. Stick with it in order to achieve the goals you want in your career. If you want my own insights on this topic, make sure to check out Cap this coming Friday, and it will be available on all the popular podcast platforms. Also, as a reminder, if you want daily content on career advice and job search tips, make sure to join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan. And if you provide your email as part of filling out my questionnaire to join the group, I will send you a 30 minute interview training video to help you be more prepared and more confident in the job interview process so you can get the job you want. Again, this is Chan with a plan the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening.